Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do for another episode. And today we have Chris Brogan in the house. Now, if you have been involved in social media over the last seven or eight years and you don't know the name Chris Brogan, then you've been living under a bushel because Chris is the world's leading authority on owning the game uh, that you most want to win. And he also knows kind of the social media world. He was an early adopter of Twitter. And I got to know Chris at a South by Southwest probably eight years ago, Kind of before he was, ooh, Chris Brogan. And I will tell you, the interesting thing is he's the same guy today now that he's had this successful career that he was when he was just sort of coming onto the scene. I actually met him. We were with a group of people. He had been invited to one of these like ultra cool like parties at a bar at South by Southwest. And he invited everyone who was in that little group to come with him and got us all into the party. And, you know, Chris was never pretentious. And I've run into him over the years, maybe once or twice a year at different events. And Chris always recognizes the people he's met before. He's always willing to walk across the room and say hello. And, you know, that's just cool because in a world of, you know, celebrity or pseudo celebrity, there's a lot of people who suddenly get too big for their britches. And I'd like to say that uh, Chris hasn't done that. He is the CEO of Owner Media Group, and he is a sought-after public speaker, a New York Times bestseller of eight books and counting. There's probably more coming. If you don't know Chris and you want to know more, you can find out about him at chrisbrogan.com. And Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I've known you for a long time, and you have really had sort of the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. And so why don't you tell people a little bit about your business and maybe just a couple minutes about the journey you've been on. If you talk to an entrepreneur and they don't tell you that there's ever been a down, then they're either faking or they're not really entrepreneurs. So I can tell you that, you know, my career has been nothing but ups and downs because I think that if you don't try to do new things and you're definitely going to go down. And when you do try to do new things, you're going to smack into some walls here and there. So I would say that 2008, 2009 were growth years. 2010 was absolute gravy. It was just money and business all over the place. 2011, it was a little bit different than that. 2012 and 13 were kind of a drought. And by 2014, you know, I really had to retool everything to get to where it was going to make sense again. And so it's been a really interesting journey. Um, My business started out as mostly uh, speaking and also consulting type work. And my clients were all the big kinds of companies you'd love to have. So Comcast, GE, Coke, Titleist, Pepsi, all these kinds of names that everyone recognizes easily. And, you know, a lot of them have been great clients and and some of them have been tricky. But one of the things I found along the way was that my experience was such that I really wanted to start working with owners no matter where they were in their in their situation. So not necessarily private entrepreneurs, not necessarily um, people who had to run their own company, but people who really chose to own their choices and everything and take some level of personal leadership and want to be sort of a performance enhancement minded person. And so, I mean, doing all that really changed my business because you know, before that, a lot of what people were talking to me about was really the softer, gentler sides of marketing and content and all that. And along the way, I just kept finding that as interesting as that was kind of sort of it you know wasn't really helping people as much as I could and I really wanted to do a bit more than that 
Well, and you didn't always work for yourself. You weren't always sort of Chris Brogan, sort of, you know, Renaissance man. You worked for some big companies in, in marketing and branding roles. What led you to take the leap from working for a company to being Chris Brogan, solo opener, guy on his own? I had always had these ideas on how things could or should work. And I, and I was very much just having this feeling that I want to contribute in the biggest way possible. And I, and I would very much think to myself, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. Um, and and even when I was working in day job land, it was very much with a somewhat entrepreneurial bent. And it, a phrase that James Altucher came up with, or he's the first guy I ever heard say it, uh, employeepreneur, uh, definitely fit who I was because I had this concept of risk and reward uh, long before I actually was running my own ship. I was just some guy at a desk at a phone company and still had that mindset. But um, I would say the other reason is that all along the way, I just felt like uh, we were all just sort of, we being just sort of employees in a big company, we're all kind of just rolling along with whatever the rules were and not thinking and not really pushing towards what could we do to really make this business sing. And I found that I was really one of the only guys in the cubicle farm thinking that way. And that's, I guess, what really prompted me to get out there and figure out another way to contribute. Well, and we're kind of kindred spirits because I've been working for myself for five and a half years. But previous to that, I worked for a law firm and then a bank and then a consulting firm, always in a business development and marketing role, a little bit of sales. But I had the same thing. I treated my job as if I was an outside vendor. And when I worked at the law firm, I went into the partners on my one year anniversary with the firm. One by one, I went to their office and I said, if I was an outside vendor and not an employee, would you renew my contract for another year? And they had never heard of anybody asking such a question, but I really looked at it as this was the marketing department was my little business inside that firm. And one of the partners laughed at me because he said, you're too smart to ask a question you don't know the answer to. But I did sort of run it like I was this entrepreneur or I like the I like the term you used employeepreneur. And so, I, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. But now that you've been doing this for a long time, what do you really like best about it? What's the best part of working for yourself? Uh, the best part is that I just feel like I have my hands on the buttons. I feel like that, it, you know, if revenue is down, I can do something to make it come up. A lot of times it's interesting. People will quit their entrepreneurial job uh, or, or role because they say, oh, I needed the security of a real salary. And I always think, oh my gosh, that's like the worst answer because <laughs> that's basically saying I need to lock into a number that I know will never change no matter how hard or, or less I work. Uh, and to me, that's the thing I most is that I'm in control of the opportunity to help and serve as many people as possible in the best possible way and then derive value from that. And to me, that's just beautiful. And, you know, it's funny because I think people have this image of, you know, oh, wow, it's so great. You work for yourself. You like just hang out at the beach all day. And, you know, I can tell you that even <laughs> when I'm traveling, I know why you're laughing because that's the last thing you or I do. You know, when I travel, I'm in this beautiful room and I can look down on this beautiful pool uh, and I can see Disney World in the distance. And where am I? I'm in my room typing because that's my job. And so, right. you know, it's, it's funny that I think how people perceive entrepreneurship entrepreneurship versus the reality. And especially once you take on even one other employee and you're suddenly responsible for a lot of people's money. Well, and uh, the the lady who was on my show for episode three, a lady, a friend of mine named Jessica Pettit, she said the greatest part about being an entrepreneur is you get to choose which 20 hours a day you want to work. So you know, <laughs> there's always something going on. And, you know, you mentioned about the fact that people give up working for themselves to go for the security. You know, I was laid off from companies entirely going out of business or moving out of Austin, Texas because of the ups and downs of the economy over the course of like a 25 year career, 20 year career, like six times. So there was no security. 
security in working for big brand name companies because they still went away. Oh, exactly. And people talk about security all the time. I mean, my mom worked for the phone company and at the phone company, especially as a manager, if you hit your 30 years, uh, you get to retire with pension and full benefits and all that. So they let her go at 29 and three quarter years, basically, you know, a few months away from uh, honoring the obligations that they had promised her since the beginning of her career. Uh, that to me is where corporate America is right now. And it's not, you know, I said the phone company because that's where she worked, but there's a lot of companies that do that. There's a lot of people getting letting let go uh, for financial reasons or nothing to do with what their performance is or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's just not corporate loyalty doesn't exist very much anymore. And it's almost, you know, if you looked around at whether or not it was worth it to be loyal to a corporation on either side or for the corporation to be loyal to you, it's pretty hard to make that argument these days. So, so that said, you know, I think that you really have to look at your life as, and your career as uh, what the British call like portfolio careers. And anyone who's not thinking that way is kind of doomed already, I would say. So let's say that someone's listening to this and they think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. And, and I, <laughs> I don't want to be doomed. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to make that transition from working for a company and, and pulling that, you know, every check every two weeks to going out and, and risking the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur? What, what would you tell them to do? So my, my plan is really simple for people. It's usually just number one, honor the company that you're working for. And that means, you know, do the hours and do the work you're supposed to do on their, on their dime and on their time. Uh, I never would advise people to, you know, cheat a company to get the next company started. I just think that's a deplorable way to get started. That said, put in what the requirements are and then hoard your rest of your time uh, so that you could start working towards making at least part of a second salary. Uh, another thing that happens in sort of the myth of entrepreneurship is everyone has this mindset of, yeah, well, I just quit my job and magically started making money and it doesn't work that way. And or uh, you don't just quit your job, put out your shingle and next thing you know, the checks start rolling in. You really need some sort of a cushion. So the way I did it was I didn't have any money in the bank. So I just worked until I could afford two salaries. And then I worked until I could afford three. And then I quit so that I had a, a, a nice way to do what I was doing. And a lot of times, uh, consultant types, what they do is they'll leave the existing company, but have a consulting role in it uh, for a little while longer, which means that they get to keep at least one client right out of the gate. Um, sometimes that's not the option. And like you'd mentioned, you know, when you were out of the workforce for a little while, you, you sort of had to start there. The other thing I say right after you've, you, you've got that part set up, that's like, let's call that foundation. The very next thing is just keep answering this question. How can I serve others? What are my unique gifts in that service? And then what do I do to price this and, and configure it such that I can serve enough people to make it reasonable for me to do it. A lot of times, you know, people have the strangest answers. They'll ask questions like, well, how much should I charge? And I always have, well, how much are you worth? <laughs> and no one has a clue. Uh, how many hours do you need to make to cover the nut? How much of that can be one-on-one, -on -one, you know, real-time time with people, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of questions that go into it. And I would say that uh, really a lot of times people have an ultimate absence of plan. Thereafter, they don't necessarily have much of a vision of how they most want to serve the world. So they just start thinking around for what can I do to make money, which to me is like the ugliest way possible to do your business because there's a lot of things you could do to make money. They're just not necessarily going to you know make you feel fulfilled and happy. And so if you now have the choice of how you make your money, you kind of want this holy triangle. And the, and the triangle is, you know, what do I know how to do? Do I know people that need that service? And are they willing to pay for it? 
And if you can answer all three of those really well, then then you can get in business for yourself. Well, and I loved your advice about, you know, putting away that salary before you make the leap, although that was my plan, right? I wanted to start this career as a speaker and a consultant and a trainer, and I was doing it on the side, and my boss knew it. I mean, she was supportive of what I was doing, and we knew that in a couple of years, I would launch off and start this career. And then the recession hit in 2008, and April 1st, 2009, there were layoffs, and I was part of it. And that was a smart move for the company. She was able to restructure and and grow her company back up now. It's doing better than ever before. And so she made the right choices that she had to make, but I was on the wrong end of some of those choices. And I thought, okay, I need a year's salary put away before I can start. And I had about two and a half, maybe three months salary. And I called my wife and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to start my business full time today because I just got laid off. And my wife said, well, you don't have enough money put aside. And so my wife agreed that I could spend upwards of that year's salary, meaning credit cards for the rest of it. But she said at the exact point that you hit that number, you got to go find a job. And about $4 shy of, you know, spending a year's salary, all of a sudden I started making money. But I hemorrhaged cash for two years. And that was, you know, sort of the hard part. And I'm really honest with people about that we we burned up a lot of credit card. We burned up all our cash and then we burned through credit cards. And a lot of people don't talk about sort of that, that dark side of the business. But you've always been really open with people about the ups and downs that you've had, the struggles that you've had. Um, you know, and so if someone is looking to start, you know, what are some of those struggles that they need to be aware of? Well, I, one would be that, you know, for instance, money is not going to be even. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that people don't really warm you up to in entrepreneurship. I mean, they, I think they pretty much presume that you know that, but you don't. And so that means that you might make 20 grand or 50 grand or whatever it is in, in one experience. And then it might be months before you get your next person. That's one. Number two is a lot of times I, I got this great piece of advice from Todd Deferin, uh, and it relates to consulting type work. He goes, never let any one client be worth more than 15% of your revenue. And that's important because once that client kicks you out the door for whatever reason, uh, you don't want to lose 50% of your revenue at any one spot. I mean, no one wants to lose any, but if you lose 15%, it's a lot easier to manage than anything else. Um, related to this, when you're looking to figure out your business, you do have to figure out what it's what it's going to be worth for the projects that you're doing, and you have to figure out price points that kind of match the the going rates in the market. And pricing is is very much you know a very complex thing, and so I, I tend to tell people that's the part that they're going to mess up the most is they'll underprice themselves by a lot. You know, my first professional speaking uh, gig of any real value, I was before that point charging twenty five hundred dollars a speech, and I met guy. Kawasaki in a hallway who had hooked me into a really big opportunity. And he said, make sure you charge him a lot of money. And I said, Hey guy, I, I don't even know what that means. Like I charge, you know, 2,500 a speech. He goes, ask for 25,000. And I thought, Oh God, they're going to say no. And so I did it on the call and there was like a pause. It was probably six seconds. It felt like three hours to me. And they were like, would you take 20? And before the <laughs> TY was out of their mouth, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, you know, clearly a hick, but you know, that was when I first realized, oh, wow, I, you know, I had no idea what the going rate was for what I was doing. And it's one of those other, I mean, one last piece of advice, I guess, is if you keep yourself pointed towards the concept of being in service of others, you're going to have such a better experience than worrying all the time about whether or not you're good enough or what your capabilities are. Your real job as an entrepreneur is to fill needs and, and service the needs of other people. How you get that done determines how much time you have to live the life you want to live. So Chris, what's the coolest thing you're doing right now? So I've been doing different courses online and whatnot, and that's probably the majority of where my revenue comes from is these digital courses with private communities. And I just 
just launched one called The Owner's Life, and it's kind of a trilogy. So it starts with this one called The Owner's Heart, and then The Owner's Mind, and then The Owner's Path. And in this process, what I do is I help people, no matter if they're an employee or the owner of a business, I help with a, a real deep integration of both life and business challenges uh, for performance. So I help people understand a better mindset, how to grow more capabilities, how to build discipline, um, how to build better community experience for for the kind of business that they're looking to do and also build a better network for themselves. Uh, and, and in this process, what I had figured out, Tom, was just that as much as I love talking about sales and marketing, and that's still kind of tucked in here and there inside the owner's life experience, um, I, I found that most of the people that were coming to me, especially for coaching, weren't asking me questions about sales and marketing. They just had, you know, significant challenges going on with serving a primary mission, uh, how to actually align their time and their efforts around it. And then what could they do to, to really integrate themselves so that they didn't have to worry about this fabled work-life balance and instead had, uh, you know, a good, strong work-life life alignment. So that's the thing I've really been enjoying the most. And uh, what I love about it is it's just yet another way that I I can serve others that then equips them for more success in who they're serving. And, and that's my favorite kind of mission. Very cool. So so one of the things we could talk about Chris Brogan all day long, but one of the things I've found my favorite entrepreneurs are really observers and they not only pay attention to their own business and, and focus on that, but they also notice when someone else is doing something really interesting. So what's something you see someone else out in the world doing that you think, wow, he or she is just killing that. That's a great idea. You know, it, it's a great question. I, I was struggling with how I wanted to answer it because I'm always observing. I'm always aware of really cool things. Uh, I'll tell you a few. I really like that Brian Clark and the copy blogger media group launched their Rainmaker platform. Uh, This is a technology conversation. uh, Just that it's basically a very all-in-one kind of website and hosting service. And it's uh, it's got a lot of features that are built for entrepreneurial types. And it, it just sort of fits in a nice box. And, and I like that just because then you don't have to worry about all the guts and details of maintaining a proper website. It, a lot of it's done for you. And I like that. The other I would say that is, uh, to me, just like the least uh, appreciated book that's come out in a long time is Jay Bear and his book, Utility, Y-O-Utility. And I think that... Um, for those of us in the content creation business, which is part of what I do, um, understanding the concepts inside of utility will change how you do business if you if it clicks and then if you decide to execute based on what Jay tells you to do. I saw Jay speak at the National Speakers Association annual conference in San Diego this summer, and he talked about sort of the stuff in the book and he's just right on. He probably had the most value of just about any of the breakouts that I attended to. Jay's Jay's tapped into something really good there. We agree. So how do you give back? It's another thing, you know, I always say that entrepreneurs are observers, but they also are givers. So what do you do to sort of give to the greater good? I do a few different things. So one is I have a private group on Facebook called The Secret Team and there's about 7,500 people in there and we basically answer and solve each other's challenges and or try to promote uh, any types of causes that anyone's working on in there. So that's kind of fun because it's like having a lot of people to bring to bear to a challenge. Uh, the other thing is I work with a, v- a variety of different causes and charities. Uh, Skipone.org, which is uh, skip a meal and feed some kids. It's really simple and basic kind of premise. It's, you know, you throw some money into this process and it goes 100% of the money passes through to the the cause that you aim it at. The other is disabled American veterans. I've been doing a lot to promote them lately because they just think that as more and more people are coming back from these various conflicts, this is when we drop the ball as a, as a nation, at least in the U.S., and I thought I could help there. And then anything to do with autism, uh, it, it's a charity that 
uh, it's an area of charity that I like to work on a lot. My boy is on the autistic spectrum, very high functioning, uh, but I know that other people aren't as lucky. And so I do what I can to kind of promote that. So that's a handful of the answers. Well, Chris, I appreciate you being so open and, and sharing. You do have a big heart and I've always known when we've crossed paths, you're always willing to help people out. And and I think that's a great thing. And I think that contributes to your, to your success along the way. And while I, I hope you have a lot of ups and ups in your future, we all know that there'll be some bumps in the road. And, and I think that you're, you're a survivor and you're someone who's going to continue to grow and give back and, and help. So I want to thank you very much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, because you're certainly an example of someone who is out there doing some cool things. I feel the same about you, Tom. So thank you for having me on. Well, I really appreciate it. And thanks again to everybody who tunes in and listens to these episodes of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We're on a journey here together. And I think this is episode 14, and we are still finding our voice and, and having some fun. But the feedback has been really good. Anybody who's been follow who follows the rankings on uh, iTunes, we were number three in careers uh, several for several days. And I just looked at like who was number one and number two and four, five and six. And I'm like, how is my little show from my kitchen in Austin, Texas? How is that number three in the careers section and number 11 in all of business? But I think uh, from some of the emails I've gotten from people, we've hit a chord. We try to make it simple. We try to have a conversation and we try to look at this life of entrepreneurship and, and what's happening and, and what's cool. So please reach out to me on Twitter at, at Tom Singer. And if you liked this show, uh, send a tweet to Chris at, at Chris Brogan and tell him that you heard him here and, and you liked maybe something that he said. And in the meantime, go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>